Well, good morning. I'm John Wyman. I'm the, I'm the missions pastor here at Fellowship of Grace. Um, man, what, what an amazing time of worship. I mean, when Brian stood back there and just let everybody just sing, I mean, that just really was just amazing. That, that just so worshipful, and I'm just really excited to have been a part of that. Um, you know, if, if you haven't been around here um, or you're not familiar with the story, um, I'm not the greatest singer in the world. Um, God really hasn't blessed me that way. Um, so it, it, it was a bit of a surprise to me last week. I was talking to, to someone, and uh, we, we were talking about a different, bunch of different things in the service, and we started talking about the music and how much we enjoyed uh, just the ability to worship God through the way we sing and the way the, the, the worship team leads us. And uh, they, they looked at me and said, you know, I'd really like to hear you sing solo. And uh, if you've ever heard me sing, or if you've ever had the misfortune of standing in front of me um, on a Sunday morning, that would surprise you too. I said, really, you want me to sing solo? He said, yeah, man, I want you to sing solo. We can't even hear you. And I said, okay, well, that's a further confirmation of my call. And uh, he said, could I ask one more thing? I said, yeah, absolutely, man. He said, could you sing tenor? I said, I don't know, could I? He said, well, could you sing tenor 11 miles away from here? I was like, well, okay. We'll just skip the whole music thing, man, and we'll just go straight to preaching the Word of God. But hey, really excited today about the, just the privilege and the opportunity to come and spend some time continuing our series uh, on the book of Genesis with you. And today we're going to continue in, in our story of Joseph. Um, and if, if you were here last week, uh, you heard Pastor Michael start us in the, uh, in the story of Joseph uh, and it, we, we had chapters 37 and 39, and just kind of reset where we were. What we saw there was Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Uh, he was taken out of his homeland. He was taken down to, to Egypt. He was sold there, bought by a man named Potiphar. He was a very uh, powerful uh, man of Pharaoh's uh, court. Uh, he did very well there. Joseph did very well uh, in, in, in Potiphar's service to the point where he was placed in charge of, of Potiphar's wi- uh, house. Excuse me. Uh, and as we continue to see that story, uh, Potiphar's wife uh, made a, a false accusation, a horrible accusation against him, which led to Joseph being placed into prison uh, unjustly. And as we ended uh, chapter 39, we saw that Joseph had continued to do well, and so well that he was placed in a position of responsibility and leadership in the prison. That's kind of where we're going to pick up uh, with the story today. And what we're going to see as, as we look in chapters 40 and 41 of Genesis is we're going to see that God works through Joseph. That, that's really the main theme that we're going to see today. And we are going to pick up from the end of chapter 39. I want to go back to the last verse in, in chapter 39 real quick and just, just review that with you because I think it kind of sets the stage uh, for what we're going to see today. So we'll read that together here quickly. And what we see is the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it successful. Now, as we look at the story of, of Joseph and, and we, we read about him and understand who he was and what he did, we do see great character. We see a great work ethic. We, we, we see ethics. We see uh, a great attitude from him. But it wasn't just about Joseph. It wasn't just about him. Somewhere in there, there's a combination of God making him successful 
And, and, and the work that Joseph does by allowing God to work through him. What we see is elements of both of those are present throughout these successes that we see from Joseph. You know, now, now what's the formula? You know, what like percentage of each one? We don't know, to be honest with you. It probably doesn't really matter. The, what, what matters is, is God has blessed him. God has provided him skills and abilities, um, and, and, and Joseph uses them to glorify God. We're going to see that rather consistently throughout these two chapters today. You know, I mean, it's true. We, we do give the glory to God. God is the giver of all things, and we always want to remember that and focus on that. But, but, but we have to remember that we do have a role to play. We have a part in this. And that leads us to what we've learned first in these two chapters when we look at, 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 at what we pull out of chapters 40 and 41, which is Joseph uses the gifts and the abilities that God gave him. We saw a little bit of this when we were looking in chapter 37, a little bit in chapter 39, you know, where he had put in, been put in charge of Potiphar's house, so in, and when he had put in charge of the prison, he had responsibility there. But as we start to open up into chapters 40 and 41, we see this consistently in every scene and every event that unfolds in the story of Joseph. Now, just real quick, chapters 40 and 41, there's 80 verses in there. We're not going to go through all 80 this morning, so just, you know... Don't worry that we're going to be reading 80 verses, but we are going to highlight certain ones. We'll, we'll summarize some, we'll explain some, we will speak some to new, but I would encourage you as you go through the week, just go back and kind of read the Joseph story in, in chapters 40 and 41 to just get yourself a little more context as you go through it. But we can see consistently, as a matter of fact, what we can see is seven distinct incidences where Joseph uses the skills, the abilities, the gifts, the blessings that God has given him. So as we look in there and we pick up with chapter 40, what we see is that Joseph is in prison. He's been there for a while. We don't know how long. And at some point, there are two officers of Pharaoh's court, the cupbearer. Think of him as the butler, the, the, the guy who's you know, very close to him and administering and, and tending to him. He literally gives him uh, his, his, his cup. So there's the cupbearer and there's the chief baker, the guy who's in charge of all the food that goes to Pharaoh. Well, these two officers committed some type of offense. We don't know what it was, but it was significant enough that Pharaoh put them into prison. And what we see is they were put under Joseph's care. As a matter of fact, what it says there is the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. He continued, they continued some time in custody. So as we look at that there, what we see is Joseph's in charge. He's leading. He's executing the gift of leadership. He also attended to them. He is serving them. We, we see him do that as well. As we continue into the Joseph story and we look at these two, these two officials, the cupbearer and, and the, uh, the baker, we see that they both had a dream this one night. They, excuse me, they had different dreams one night. And for the cupbearer, what happened to him was he had this dream where he saw this vine come out and out of it came these, these three branches and he reached out and he grabbed the grapes and he squeezed the grapes into the cup and he handed the cup back to, to Pharaoh. Um, and then for the, for the baker, what the baker saw in his dream was these three like baskets of food that he had baked on top of his head, on the top of the baker's head. But in the top basket, the, uh, the birds were eating the food out of that top basket. And so they wake up, they both had their dreams the same night. They wake up that next morning and they're, they're concerned, they're perplexed, they don't really understand what's going on. And Jodas notices them because he's serving them, he's attending to them. And he asks them, what's going on? And they say, well, we had this dream, but nobody really understands it. And Joseph says to him, well, don't dreams belong to God? Why don't you tell me and we can figure this out together? So they explain their dreams and Joseph interprets them. Joseph explains to the, uh, the cupbearer, well, what your dream means is God has told you that in three days, 
he's going to restore you to your old position as the cupbearer to Pharaoh. And then he turns to the cup, uh, excuse me, to the baker. He explains to the baker, in three days, you know, that the, the Pharaoh's going to hang you. He's going to execute you. Um, and, and both those, those dreams come through. So we see him in that case exercising the gift of prophecy. Now, before we go any further, I want to spend a moment just kind of making sure we're, uh, we're really understanding what biblical prophecy is here. Okay, biblical prophecy is the ability to interpret what has been said, what God has said through someone. And we want to understand that it's, it's not like seeing into the future, you're not a fortune teller, nothing like that. Okay, we also want to clearly understand that when someone has a gift of prophecy and they're able to, 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 to interpret something that God has said, it never, ever contradicts God's written word. So if someone were to say, hey, I, I, I had a vision and I'm prophesying that this has happened, but it's in contradiction to what's in the Bible, that is a false prophecy. That, that's not real. And we, we do want to understand this. Joseph, when he interprets these two dreams, and we'll talk about the, the third dream he, he interprets in a moment, when he does that, Joseph isn't seeing into the future. See, God has already said what's going to happen. Joseph is simply explaining, interpreting what that meant. And I'll give you a real easy example uh, for us to understand. So, you know, I don't speak German. So if there was someone in here, and they, they, they were a guest today, from, and they, they spoke only German, and uh, we had someone who happened to speak both English and German, and they were interpreting, and the, and the German person said, you know, I'll be back here at 5 o'clock today. And the interpreter says that, hey, he said he'll be back. I think he's going to be back at 5 o'clock. Well, the interpreter didn't have like this epiphany that all of a sudden he's going to be back at 5 o'clock. All he did was he told me what the German guy already said. That's what prophet, that's an example or, or, or an analogy of what prophecy is. So as we continue to see in, in, this, in the story of Joseph, if we, if we come forward to Genesis 41, 25, in here, Pharaoh has two dreams, and Joseph interprets them both, again, exercising the, the, the gift of prophecy. And what happens in these two dreams, they're on the same night, and the first dream Pharaoh has is he sees these seven really plump, healthy, really, really good cows come up out of the Nile River. And then after them come up these seven, like, thin, ugly, kind of emaciated cows. And, and the ugly ones eat up the healthy ones. But they don't look any better. They don't look any, like, stronger afterwards. And so Pharaoh wakes up, and it, it, it's really bothering him. He doesn't understand it. Uh, he eventually goes back to sleep. He has another dream. And in this dream, he sees these seven ears of corn grow up. They raise up. And they're, they're healthy. They're thick. They're really looking good. And then these other seven... Uh, ears of corn come up, and they're all like, they, they talk about them being blighted by the east wind. They're all thin, and they're not healthy, and they eat up the good ears. And what Joseph is able to do, because nobody in Pharaoh's court is able to explain those dreams to them, they pulled Joseph out of prison because he had, he had accurately prophesied or explained what happened to the cupbearer and the, uh, the baker. They pull him out of prison and they come and have him um, interpret Pharaoh's dream. And then the interpretation of that dream is there's going to be seven years of bountiful harvest and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And we'll talk about that in a little more detail later. But we see three distinct instances where he uses the gift of prophecy. Now, right after Joseph explains to the Pharaoh 
what his two dreams meant. Then we see him execute the, 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 the gift of, of wisdom. And we're going to read those together. We'll see those in Genesis 41, 33 to 36. And in there, what it says, this is Joseph speaking, is now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and send him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the product of the land, produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food for these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for the food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for all the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. Now, understand something here. When they pulled um, Joseph out of the prison to come up and interpret this dream, they weren't asking him for his opinion on what they should do about it. They simply asked him, hey, what does this mean? However, because God had blessed him with the ability to, to, uh, of wisdom, he then continued to use that and explain to him, here's the problem, here's what we need to do about it. I mean, we see in here that, that through the wisdom that God gave Joseph, he's able to see both a crisis and an administration to, to address that. I mean, think about this for a second. You gotta, some, somebody's got to understand what this problem is, Under, you know, put their, wrap their head around the, the totality of this problem. And, and then there's got to be a goal and a vision that, that comes out of that. They've got to develop that. Then they have to put people in place to execute that vision, that goal. And those folks have to understand it and understand what their role in it. Someone has to make sure all this is operating. I mean, think about this. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. That's a 14-year project. That's not some passing fancy. That, that, that's a pretty big deal. Someone had to make sure this was all operating according to plan for 14 years. And then it had to be measured. This is more than simply knowledge. This is taking knowledge and turning it into wisdom. And, and, and as Joseph does that, then he starts to execute the, the gifts of leading and administration. We see in, verses four, in, in uh, verse 49 of chapter 41 that Joseph stored up the grain in great abundance and the, like the sand of the sea until it ceased, he ceased to measure it for it could not be measured. There was so much he couldn't, he couldn't even measure it anymore. Think about this for a second. We just talked 14 years. This is seven years worth of grain, worth a very, uh, a very plentiful uh, harvest, like better than normal. Somebody had to administer and, and, and manage this. If, if you want to think about the, the empire, the Egyptian empire of this time, think about feeding a population or an area the size of, say, like South Dakota down to Oklahoma. That's what he was dealing with. That was his, his, his problem here. This was, this was no small task for anybody, even today. I mean, and, and Joseph, and I say this kind of jokingly, but you know, Joseph didn't have the advantage of like barcodes and scanners and really cool inventory software and nodal distribution and all that stuff. Joseph had his God-given abilities. That's what he had to manage this problem, and he did it well. And we can see that he did it well in Genesis 41, uh, verses 56 and 57, where it says, so when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph up, opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. We see that now it's, it's, it's bigger than just Egypt. It's, it's the entire ancient Near East. And Joseph is using skills and abilities to, to, to solve this problem. But we've got to kind of step back for a second and ask us, okay, so what does this mean to us today? Like, is this simply a really interesting story out of history? Or, or is there something God is speaking to us today? 
You know, what, what do we take out of this? Because, you know, we think about it. Joseph at this point is now the number two guy in the, in the dominant empire of the ancient Near East. He's like, think of him as a CEO, uh, COO, you know, chief operating officer of, of, a, of a multi-billion dollar company. You know, most of us are never going to, like, rise to that level, and that's okay. You know, but if we say, well, that doesn't really apply to me because, you know, I'm never going to be in that position, we, we kind of miss the point. We, we kind of miss the point of the whole story here because the point is never the size of the role or the task that God gives us. The point is how impactful are we when we execute, when we take part in the role and the task that God has given us. There's a significant difference there and we need to understand that. I mean, all of us have gifts and abilities. They're all important. And we all have different ones. So we have to ask ourselves, so when we have these gifts, we have these abilities, we have these, what do we do with them? Like, like, like now what? And I think there's, there's three options that, that, that are in front of us. The first option is we don't do anything. There's nothing with them. Like, I'm really not interested in exercising this ability. I'm really not exercising, interested in putting a lot of effort into this. You know, but I, I think really, just like logically, that doesn't pass the common sense test. I mean, just, just intuitively we go, that doesn't make any sense at all. You know, and, and, and I think we can pack it up with scripture. We're going to look at Romans 12 here and, and see what Paul says in, in, in Romans 12, 4 to 6, where he writes, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. So I mean, Paul's being pretty clear here. This is, not only is it, you know, just doesn't pass the common sense test to not use the gifts we have, God's, God's clearly showing us here that that's not what we're supposed to be doing. So we kind of take that first option and kind of toss that away. So the second option we might look at is that we misuse them. We use the gifts, we kind of maybe we use them for ourselves, you know, increase our stature, make things easier for us, pleasure, importance, whatever it is. We misuse them. And again, that, that probably doesn't pass the common sense test. That, that, that doesn't, you know, this intuitively doesn't sound right. So we look to scripture again and we see one more time that, that, that this is the wrong answer. I'm going to show you a, a verse here out of Acts, uh, Acts 8. And in here, the apostles are sharing the gospel, they're, they're, they're building the church, they're laying hands on people, and at this point, people are coming to Christ with the laying of hands. And there's this Samaritan magician named Simon. Now, when we say magician, don't think of like, you know, a guy who pulls a, hat, a rabbit out of a hat. This guy was like a sorcerer or a fortune teller, that kind of thing, okay? And what we see in Acts 8 is, for now when, for, for now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power also so that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you read in there, Simon's not the least bit worried about other people coming to Christ, other people receiving the Holy Spirit, other people receiving gifts. Simon's really worried about, hey, give me this thing so I can look really cool. I mean, it, it, it's a horrible misuse of a gift and, and Peter is with him at the time and Peter rebukes him pretty strongly to the point of saying hey you know if you don't change your attitude both you and your gold is going to perish you can't buy this so again we, we, we got a, a really good story here that, that clearly under, you know, shows us that this isn't the answer but how does that apply to us again I mean we, I think we really want to take these biblical stories understand them see what God's telling them 
telling us through them. But then we want to take it back and say, all right, now how does this apply to me? So let's, let's, let's look at a couple of modern examples where we potentially could misuse the gifts that God has given us. So maybe you have the gift of serving, but you serve in a way that you want to bring attention to yourself or you want to gain favor. That might be a misuse. It would be a misuse. Maybe you have the gift of leadership, but, but you use it in a way that you, you know, gain influence or control over others. Maybe you have the gift to teach, but, but you use it in a way that makes yourself seem more important, yourself seem smarter, yourself seem like at a higher level. Some of us you know, have, the, have the ability to, to minister. Some people you know, are very good at, at, at mercy and sitting down and, and talking to folks when they're going through tough times. And, and when that happens, a lot of times people give us, you know, explain what's going on in their lives. And sometimes they share you know, vulnerable information about themselves. And if we're not careful, the misuse of that could be you know, inappropriate use, not keeping that in the right confidentiality. You know, I got a good friend who who, uh, who pastors out in Western Kansas. He calls it holy gossip. You know, it, it, it's it's an improper use of that. You know, and so as we look at, at what 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 we see in Acts, you know, we look at these examples today. I think we can take option two, which is to misuse those gifts and kind of throw that one away too. That's not that's not the right option. So that kind of leaves us with option number three, which is to use our gifts for God's glory, for His purposes, for His intent. Okay, now if you're not familiar, this, this right here, this is Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is a starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. I'll tell you a little bit about him if you're not familiar with him. Um, you know, when he was in high school, he wasn't a big guy. He was like 5'8", like 170 pounds. He was an average, like, teenager, you know. Um, was not highly recruited, went to a Division II school. Anyway, he grew, became very, very, very successful as a football player, ended up being the number two draft pick in the NFL draft. I don't tell you that story because it's a really cool football story, okay? I tell you that because it's really not about football with Carson Wentz. Because in 2017, what Carson Wentz did was he founded what was called the Audience of One Foundation, or the AO1 Foundation. And here, here's, here's their mission statement. It says they're to demonstrate the love of God by providing opportunities and support for the less fortunate and those in need. If, if you're not familiar with YouVersion, it's a very good Bible app. You can read, your, you know, read, read the Bible on it. It has uh, study plans, uh, has devotionals. It's, it's, a, it's a very good uh, app. Uh, I highly recommend it to you. Well, what Carson Wentz did with, with several other guys was he helped create a 15-day YouVersion Bible study called Professional Football Players on Humility and Surrender. Now, let's think about this for a minute. If you've ever watched football... Are there two words like humility and surrender that could be farther from what you see on a Sunday afternoon? Like, like there's no other word you go, wow, that's like diametrically opposite. There's, there's nothing else I see that's farther from the truth of what I see on Sundays. Yet he, he got a bunch of uh, guys together. And again, it says professional football players on humility and surrender. This isn't for football players. This isn't about football players. This is football players using their faith in Christ, their, their desire to see others have a faith in Christ and grow in that, using the platform God has given them as professional athletes who people look up to and people listen to, to share their stories, to share the gospel, to share a Bible study plan so people can grow in it. That's a great example of use versus misuse. Now, as you might imagine, in, 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 in today's society, they, he's taken quite a bit of flack for that, 
for his faith and for the way he lives his faith. And he had a great response to that. He was on a radio show, and they asked him about that. He says, but Christ was nailed to a cross, and Paul went to jail for speaking about Jesus. So I could take a couple of negative tweets. I mean, what, what a great perspective on how we use the gifts and abilities God has given us. But again, you don't have to be a professional athlete. You don't have to be a celebrity to use the gifts that God has given us. You may have never heard this name before, but Doris Taylor. Doris Taylor was born in Australia in the early 1900s, and, and she had a tough life. Um, she... I don't know, at under 10, she had a fall that was so significant that she ended up walking with a permanent limp. What happened was, because of that, she continued to fall. She got to a point where she was 16, she was paralyzed. She could hardly eat by herself. She needed help eating. Now, you may be um, familiar that, obviously, in the United States in the 1930s, we had what was called the Great Depression. Well, Australia had a Great Depression about the same time as well. Here's Doris Taylor, paralyzed, needing help eating, not really able to take care of herself, but she has a burning desire, a burning, a burden, really, for people who are underprivileged during the Great Depression in Australia. So what she starts to do is she starts to organize and supply hot meals midday to elderly folks and people who are chronically ill. Now, if you think about that, that that's amazing on itself, but she continues it to a point where in 1953, she used that to find what today we call Meals on Wheels which is still active, which is still doing amazing work. That's an amazing everyday example of using the gifts and abilities and heart and burden that God has given us for his glory. But, but God's not done working through Joseph because next we learn that God gives a warning and God gives a solution. And we're going to look at, at Genesis 41, 25, and 27 real quick. We'll read that together. And in the, so this is right after, excuse me, this is as Joseph is uh, interpreting the two dreams that Pharaoh had that night. And it says, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows come up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears, blighted by the east wind, are also seven years of famine. Now, I want to go back real quick. I want you to look at the second sentence, our second um, line here. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Again, this is not Joseph seeing into the future or giving himself the credit of what's happened. This is God revealing, God giving a warning about what is about to happen. Now, as we look at this, this story, you know, we, we could ask ourselves, you know, why, why does God have seven years of, of, of plenty and, and seven years of famine? The truth is, the Bible really doesn't say why he chose to do this. It could have been to demonstrate his glory and his sovereignty. It could have been, we, we will see later that it actually led to putting Joseph and his family back together. Those are good results. Those are truths. But the Bible really doesn't say why. And truth is, it's not the point. The point is, the Bible is very clear with a pattern of warnings and solutions throughout the Bible. Warnings about things that will harm us and solutions for our, for our well-being. And, and when we look at it that way, that really destroys the myth, the lie, that God is somehow some vengeful, uncaring, uninterested, you know, unfair God. It just blows that argument right out of the water. And we're going to look at a couple of examples of this in here. So, for instance, in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel 
Ezekiel is prophesizing. He says, and God has said through him, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. I mean, at this point, the, the Israelites are rebelling against God to the point where he's about to have some judgment on them. And God's saying, look, this is not what I want for you. This is absolutely not what I want for you. Just, just turn. If you just turn, you will live. A warning and a solution. If we look through the book of Jonah, okay, in the Old Testament, the book of Jonah, God sends Jonah 500 miles away. Now, Jonah, if you read the book, actually makes it a little longer journey through his own sin. But he sends Jonah 500 miles away to the city of Nineveh, which is present-day Mosul in Iraq, from Israel to Nineveh, for the express purpose of warning the entire city that they're about to experience consequence. They're about to experience judgment unless they turn. And Jonah executes that mission eventually, and the city turns, and God relents of the judgment. Again, a warning and a solution. We've got 16 books of prophecy in the Old Testament, warnings and destructions. Look, folks, if God didn't care, if God was this mean, uncaring, unfair deity, there would be no warnings there would be no solutions. We'd just be gone if that were true. That's what makes it a lie. Now, again, we want to ask, okay, what does that mean to us? You know, what's, what's our warning? What's our solution today? What do we, again, this is not just a group of, of stories. And I think it's very clear as we look in the New Testament. You know, our warning solution today is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. If you're not familiar with the gospel message of Jesus Christ, it, it, it truly is a, a relatively simple story. It's a relatively tr- tr- simple truth. Is that by our own sinfulness, we did, chose to rebel against God, to do things that, against what God has told us. That separated us from God. We call that sin. And, and, and there's nothing we can do to fix that, to, to close that separation ourselves. There's nothing we on our own can do. But God had a better plan. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, out of a perfect heaven into this broken and fallen world to take on our sin and to take on our punishment for that sin by going to a cross and dying for us to take on all that sin and all the consequence of that sin and then rose three days later to defeat death and to defeat sin. And when we place our faith in what he accomplished through his death and resurrection, then we're saved, we're forgiven. We're just, it's like just as that sin, that sin is washed away, it's not seen. That's the gospel message. There's the, there's the warning and there's the solution. We see it several times throughout the New Testament. I'll give you an example here out of Romans 6. In Romans 6, 23, it says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look, this is not a mean, you know, judgmental passage here. This is a warning. The wages of sin is death. There's something bad going to come. But if we continue to read, we look in Romans 10 is one of several examples where Paul writes, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's your solution. That's the one that applies to us today. That's our assurance. That's our hope. It's really that simple. Our problem, our our our. Warning and our solution is truly that simple. This is not the work, this is not the plan of a mean, unjust, uncaring God. We've really got really to internalize that. We've got to understand that. But there's another important point we want to make about God's solutions. If we look back at the story of Joseph, God would use him to save an entire people. We will see that. We're actually, we're already seeing it. 
in, in this passage right here. But it didn't happen like we would normally, you know, associate a miracle to happen. Like Joseph's just sitting around and all of a sudden, poof, you know, there's seven years of, of, of grain in the driveway. Like, I don't know, we wake up and there's all this. It doesn't happen like that. This kind of goes back to that whole conversation about the, the mix, you know, the presence of God making it present and Joseph using it throughout there. We're not just sitting back and, well, God will provide. We'll just kind of wait for it to happen. God does provide, but he doesn't do it in a way that we can just sit back and let him know when he's done doing it. Just like Joseph we saw when he used the gifts, we, we, have, we have to use what's given to us. Now, I'm going to put the slide up here. It's kind of a joke, but there's a little bit of truth to it. Sometimes the solutions are closer than we think. Sometimes it takes just a little bit of effort. Sometimes we've got to just kind of look around and see what we got. Now, we can chuckle at that. But again, we want to come back and ask the question, what are the solutions God's putting in front of us right now? Let me give you a couple examples. So maybe you have some money trouble, okay? Maybe you're upside down on a couple of, of, of loans. Maybe you're, you're really struggling how you're going to make ends meet from month to month. Maybe you really say, I just don't understand how to manage my money. Well, as an example, we have Financial Peace University. We're running a class right now. We're going to start another one in September. I'm not going to ask folks to raise the hand, but I, I'm looking around the room. I can see people who have already been blessed by what comes out of Financial Peace University when it comes to managing your money and getting out from under the consequence of money. Maybe you've got trouble with accountability. Maybe you've got some trouble with, you know, trying to get a certain, you know, habit or sin out of your life. Look, we've got discipling relationships. We've got one-on-one -on -one discipling relationships. We've got core groups that run all the time that help us hold each other accountable, that help us lift each other up. Maybe you feel disconnected. Maybe you feel, you know, hey, I just can't, you know, connect with folks. We've got community groups, you know, we come together regularly in a sense of community. Those are just a couple of examples of what God is providing right now because just like he provided a solution in Joseph's time, he's continuing to provide them today. And as we continue to look at the Joseph story, as we continue to look at these two chapters, there's a final point we want to learn and that's that Joseph gives credit and thanks to God. And we see that in Genesis 41, 50 to 52. We'll read that together. In there it says, before the year of famine came, so somewhere, you know, between years, between the time of the, probably in the time of plenty, in those seven years, at some point, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of Onan, but she was a, she was a gift, basically. Pharaoh, when he established um, Joseph as his, you know, his administrator for this, he, he gave him many, many gifts, one of which was to, to give the daughter as a wife. So anyway, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my afflictions. We, we see in the names of the two sons, the names that he gives his sons, that Jesus, Joseph saw, he appreciated, he gave thanks for God, for everything God had done despite what everything that, that Joseph had gone through. I mean, you know, making him forget and being fruitfulness. God, God helped him forget the tough times. We'll talk about forget in a second here. And then he made him fruitful in the very place that he had had so many of those tough times. Now, when we say forgetting his family, He's not like 
disowning them. He's not saying they're, they're not here anymore. I'm forgetting. What, what it really means is he's forgiving them. He's forgetting all the hurt. He's forgetting the anger. He's forgetting the bitterness so he can move on. He's recognizing the peace of forgiveness that God has given him. A, a great gift of, of peace through forgiveness. That's his burden. His burden was not you know, repenting of what his brothers had done to him, of repenting of what Potiphar's wife had done to him. That wasn't his burden. His burden was forgiving. And that's the one he had to work on. And when he did, God blessed him with the peace that goes with that. It, it allowed him not to hold grudges that would have gotten in the way of, of being fruitful, of being successful in the roles that God had given him. Because the truth is, when we focus on anger or thinking ways to get back at someone who's done us wrong, even if they've, no kidding, absolutely done us wrong, all it does is it distracts us from whatever we're trying to do now, moving forward out of that. Like, Joseph could have fussed about the injustices he went through. I mean, he, he went, I mean, what happened to him was not right. I mean, that's pretty clear. But all that would have done is distracted him from this huge task we just talked about, about administering and leading through this seven-year feeding program for an entire empire. He would have messed that thing up like nobody's business if he had spent his time fussing about what had happened in the past. But because God gave him the peace of forgiveness, he was able to be fruit, to be successful, to move through those hurts and pains, to move through them and, and into a new place, not to sit and dwell in it. And that's what we want to learn for ourselves too. I mean, we do go through hard times. Sometimes they're incredibly unfair. There's folks in the room right now who are going through difficult times, and, and some of them are of their, not of their own doing. And we can't just like put a bow on that, pretend it didn't happen, like everything's okay. You know what? Tough times are here. They're tough. No one's discounting that. But when we put away the bitterness and anger, it's amazing to see what God can do to help us work through it and come through it. When we allow him to use it, we can become an encouragement to other folks. We can be a model and example for other, coach, other people. We, we can, you know, if we recognize in someone a difficulty they're having, maybe we walk through that ourselves, and we can sit down and be vulnerable ourselves and say, man, I, know what you're, I, I understand where you are. Let me show you how similar my situation was and, and talk through how God led us through that. We can help folks walk through it. We, it's amazing to see what God can do when he takes those broken pieces and he puts them back together into something else. And the best thing is we can see other people come to know him through our faith in him. I was, I was working, this is in my job, uh, the last company I worked for, and I was sitting down, and I, there was a one person, and, and, and she was, like, like it's kind of funny. We both grew up in the East Coast, actually, like, within 25 miles of each other, um, we could not have been farther apart in worldview in just about any subject you could think of. But we got along really well because we could be respectful to each other, even though we didn't agree on anything. But I remember one day I was sharing the gospel with her again in, 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 at work, and, and we were talking, and finally she looked at me and says, boy, I wish I could just have what you have. And the answer is you can. You can. That, that's the beauty of it. That, 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 through, that, that when we, we live our faith, not just talk about our faith, when we live our faith and we're honest and we're vulnerable and we're, we're caring and we, we, we live this out and we use the gifts, then we can see other folks come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and grow through that. That's the beauty of it. Look, folks, Joseph suffered a lot. He did. But despite that, he still allowed God to work through him. 
And when he did that, God did amazing things. And we're going to see some more amazing things that he's about to do when we continue this story. But I want you to understand, please, again, this is not just a historical story. This is not just information and knowledge. God's still working today. He's working right now. He's still looking to do great things for each one of us. He still wants to work through us the same way he worked through Joseph. Please don't take this as a historical story. Take, take this as, how does this apply to me that I can, I, 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 can, I can live in Christ? Let's go to prayer. Lord, we just thank you for, we thank you for continuing to teach us who you are, teaching us about your character, showing us what you've done in the past, showing us how it applies to us. Lord, we just want to lift up these messages that you would, you would work through them and work through us. Lord, soften our hearts so we could understand what you're teaching us. Lead us to, to follow you, even when it's difficult, even when we go through difficult times. Lead us to help others walk through difficult times with you. Lord, show us those opportunities. Show us those, those, those things. Just like the guy with the hat backwards. Show us those, 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 those instances and those situations that are right next to us that, that we can lead people to you. That, that we can show how our faith in you, how using the gifts you've given us, it, it can just result in amazing fruit. Lord, we lift this day up to you. We lift this message up to you. Lord, we lift up just a praise to you for the way you've done this and ask that you continue to show us how to do it in the future. It's in the great name of Jesus we pray.